You're listening to the Restless Wanderer podcast by Paul Coulter, and this is part one of a series in book four of the Psalms. Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust, and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood, they are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy, or even by reason of strength, eighty. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger, and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us how to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favour of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Now this psalm, psalm number 90, is attributed to Moses, the man of God, a prayer of Moses. It begins by addressing God as the dwelling place of his people or the refuge of his people in all generations. And of course, this psalm has a very strong sense of of time. It refers to a thousand years as being uh, but as yesterday when it's past, verse four, or as a watch in the night. Of course, that idea of a thousand years being like a day to the Lord is picked up uh, quite in in Second Peter. Uh, perhaps you're familiar with that passage where um, Peter says that the promise of the return of Jesus is not slow in coming as some kind of slowness because for God a thousand years is just like a day and in fact here in verse four a thousand years it says it's just like a watch in the night not even a day just a fraction of a day God the eternal one the one who has been faithful in all generations the one who is unchanging who is God from everlasting to everlasting even before creation verse two says And compared to God, of course, we are like grass that is renewed in the morning, flourishes and then fades and withers in the evening. This idea of the futility of human life, the temporary nature, just how fragile and limited we are in our humanity by contrast with God. Of course, the great tragedy of sin is that Adam and Eve in first sinning tried to place themselves in the position of God. They tried to overstretch the limits that God had set on them and to act as if they could be sovereign. But in ourselves, we are not capable of ruling 
in that way because, well, for lots of reasons, we don't have the wisdom, we don't have the power, but also in ourselves, we are not limitless as God is. But the issue is not just our mortality. God says that we are brought to an end, verse 7, by your anger, by your wrath. There is an issue that our iniquities, our secret sins, are revealed to God, verse 8 says. And so the problem is not just that our days are short, but that they are spent under God's wrath. And if that was all there was, then our days would end like a sigh. We might live for 70 or 80 days, but we live lives of toil and trouble in this fallen world. They're soon gone and we fly away. There's a, a great sort of tragedy there, isn't there, of the life that is subject to the wrath of God because of our sin. But uh, we need, in light of this truth, to number our days. We need God to teach us to see that each day matters uh, and that our days are numbered by God. But we need to count them out and say, what is it that God has for me this day? And to live in fear of him. Verse 11 says, who considers the power of God's anger and his wrath according to, his, to fearing him. We need a heart of wisdom. Of course, the wisdom books of the Old Testament define the beginning of wisdom as the fear of the Lord. So living in awe of God in his majesty and power and his sovereignty, so gladly submitting to his rule, gladly acknowledging his rule over us and living each day in light of that truth, trusting in him, in awe of him, worshipping him. That's what we need to gain a heart of wisdom. And so in verse 13, the psalmist cries out, how long? He cries for pity. He asks that God will satisfy us in the morning. Of course, that morning is not just the morning of each day, but the morning of our lives in our younger years, given that our lives are, are just like a, a day you know, rising in the morning and, and gone by evening. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us again that sense of living each day under the wrath of God in a fallen world observing evil uh, and yet trusting in God and seeking joy from him asking that his work is shown to us his glorious power not just to us but to our generation verse or to our children rather verse 16 the idea of future generations to whom we can pass on the faithfulness of God living under the favour of God or the beauty of God, depending on uh, whether you read the main text or the, or the footnote in verse 17, and asking that God will establish the work of our hands. It's a beautiful prayer. It's a good reminder that in this world that sometimes seems like a struggle and when it seems that God's wrath is against us and when we must acknowledge our sin and God's just wrath because of our sin, that we also live under the favour of God and that he will establish our ways. Let's read on then, Psalm number 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. 
His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is your refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague shall come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample under foot, because he who, he who holds fast to me in love, and because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honour him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. And this is another beautiful psalm. It's not attributed to any particular writer, but uh, it, it's a perhaps a well-known psalm. It's been used in Christian songs. And maybe like me, you're familiar with the uh, writings of Corrie ten Boom, which uh, pick up that idea of the, the hiding place and the shadow. Um, and then also the writings of uh, Elizabeth Elliot about her, uh, her, her husband, Jim Elliot, who was one of the missionary martyrs in Ecuador in the 1950s. And she entitled her books about his life in the shelter of the Most High and the shadow of the Almighty. Uh, but this is uh, a beautiful psalm expressing what it is to trust in God, the protection that he brings. It's a, a personal protection. God is the refuge and fortress. Uh, the pinioning of his wings, verse 4, uh, sheltering him. So there, there are these beautiful images of the, the mother hen sheltering her um, chicks under her wings. That's what God does for us. The faithfulness of God that is a shield to us. No need to fear the terror of night or the arrow of the day and the destruction of noonday. God will sustain us even when a thousand may fall or ten thousand at our right hand. And uh, the protection, of course, is described um, in verses 10 to, to 12. We could easily take that out of context and say well therefore I can live however I like and God is obliged to protect me that of course is exactly how the evil one how Satan when he tempted the Lord Jesus in the desert twisted the words of this psalm took those words and said to Jesus you can jump from the pinnacle of the temple because surely it said that the angels will be sent by God to guard you and to protect you but Jesus uh, rightly said that we should not put the Lord our God to the test. This is not a promise that God will always protect us from all evil, but that God will protect us as we do his will in order for us to be able to do what we are called to do by him. And the words of God end this, uh, this passage, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. I'll answer him when he calls. I'll be with him in trouble. I'll rescue him and honour him. I'll satisfy him with long life and show him my salvation. This is about relationship with God. 
The Lord Jesus, of course, was protected by God, but that didn't prevent him from going to the cross and dying and being beaten because that was part of God's purpose. The Lord, our God, will protect us from everything that would keep us from his love, everything that would keep us from living for the purpose that he has given us. It doesn't mean there will always be protection from every evil, but that when we call to him, he will save us. He will satisfy us with long life, indeed eternal life. We understand with the benefit of living after Jesus, we will see his salvation. Let's read on then into Psalm 92. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I will sing, or I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are high on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. To declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. And this psalm has a heading. It says a psalm, a song for the Sabbath. It's a good prompt in this uh, psalm as to what we should be praying and thinking about on Sabbath, which I'll say, I believe, is something that we as Christians should practice, not necessarily on the seventh day of the week, which is what we call Saturday, as the people of Israel did, um, but to have a day a week when we draw aside and rest from our work and our productiveness and refocus on God and receive from him the blessings of his creation and of his redemption. That's not the purpose of this uh, episode, of course, but I'll commend that to you as a practice that is given by God, a joyful thing to stop from our normal rhythm and take a day to focus on him. But the psalm says it's good to give thanks to the Lord there. That's something we should be doing on, on our Sabbath, taking time to give thanks to the Lord, to God, to sing praises to his name. The Sabbath should begin with declaring his steadfast love in the morning and his faithfulness by night. To begin the day thinking of him, to end the day thinking of him, to declare how steadfast his love is. Every day we wake, of course, not only on the Sabbath, we, we realise that this is a day that God has given. A day when God is faithful to us, is present with us. And he is faithful to as night draws upon us. God has made us glad by his work. The works of his hand cause us to joy. Uh, verse four, to sing for joy. That's the, uh, the the truth of Sabbath. Sabbath in the Old Testament has its roots in both creation. We first read about it in the account of creation in Genesis chapter one into the beginning of chapter two. And on the seventh day, the Sabbath, God rested. 
although I find it intriguing that the Sabbath was the first full day for Adam and Eve, who were created on the sixth day. Uh, so they woke up on the Sabbath after their first night's rest to in, uh, or first night's sleep to enjoy a day of rest, enjoying the work of God's hands, looking around them at the beautiful creation that He had made. And that's something we should do on our Sabbath as well: stop and enjoy the works of God. But not only, of course, in creation, but also in redemption. In uh, the book of Deuteronomy, when when the Ten Commandments are given a second time, well, the first time that they're given in Exodus chapter 20, uh, it refers to creation. It says that in six days God created everything and he rested on the seventh day and made the seventh day holy. But in Deuteronomy, it says you should keep the Sabbath because you were slaves in Egypt. Uh, in other words, God has delivered them, redeemed them from slavery. And the fact that they can take a day of rest, it means that they have a good master, not a, a, a dreadful slave master like Pharaoh, who forced the people of Israel to work when they were slaves in Egypt and didn't give them rest. God, who has redeemed us, gives us rest. And receiving his rest is acknowledging his goodness, acknowledging who he is, taking time to remember what he redeemed us from. If we don't know how to Sabbath, it's because we don't really understand how God has set us free. God's works are great. His thoughts are very deep. We can't understand if we are foolish Verse 6, and of course, foolishness in Scripture is not simply uh, about somebody who is intellectually deficient. It's not that you can't uh, think or understand, but the rejection of God. That's what the stupid man, the fool is, the person who rejects the existence of God, who lives in God's world as if it came to be without a creator, as if it didn't have a master or an owner. That person cannot understand the things of God. That person who is wicked sprouts like grass. They flourish in this world as we find it, but they are doomed to destruction, verse 7 says. But God is high. He will cause his enemies to perish. He will scatter his evildoers, the evildoers, rather, verse 9. But to his people, like the psalmist, he has exalted them and poured fresh oil upon them, anointed them with oil. So that they see the downfall of their enemies. They hear the doom of their assailants. They are righteous and flourish. And they are planted in the house of the Lord. That image of a tree is a, a beautiful one. Verse 12, the palm tree or the cedar of Lebanon. It's a picture that crops up, of course, in Psalms. Psalm 1, very famously. But also um, elsewhere in the Old Testament that... People who put their trust in God are like mighty trees, flourishing, bearing fruit. The evildoer is, flourishes like grass, temporary, never permanent. But for the, those who are righteous, who trust in God, who practice Sabbath as an expression of their trust in God, they will still bear fruit in old age. They're ever full of sap and green. I love that image. Of course, trees live to a mighty old age. But there's a promise there for us as we grow older that there is continuing life inwardly renewed, although we outwardly waste away, to use Paul's words from 2 Corinthians. And we can continue throughout a lifetime 
to bear fruit, the fruit of godly character, the fruit of giving glory to God, of testifying to him, of declaring that he is upright, that he is the rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Let's read one more psalm before we finish this episode. Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on his strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Amen. I don't have much to say about that psalm, but it's a beautiful way to end this episode. To remember that the Lord is sovereign, the Lord reigns. He has established the world firmly and his throne is established. And even though the floods lift up, the Lord is high and mighty, mightier than the thunders, mightier than the waves of the sea. His decrees are trustworthy. So we can trust in him in the middle of any storm.